0: But we'll go for a few hours Wednesday afternoon to finish up some of the, the odds and ends we need to finish We'll meet here at church 3 o'clock And so if you want to come 3 o'clock, go down there with us There's all kinds of levels of work and activity you can do We won't put more on you, as the Bible says, than you can bear So, so come and join us for that and we'll finish up what we got started But uh, we were able to get a tremendous amount of things done in a couple of days So praise the Lord for that, He gave us the strength to do that You know, this is the Sunday before uh, our 4th of July celebration, our Independence Day. And you know, as a pastor, for years and years and years, I've never let this Sunday go by without us standing and saying the pledge to the flag. So I want to invite you to do that, if you would, this morning. I know we don't have the words, but I can't imagine you guys not knowing uh, that. Our flag's here in the corner, so if you would stand and let's say the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you so very much. You know, as we think about that very pledge and the confirmation that we had to upholding our nation and supporting our nation, uh, we find our, ourselves in a great time of turmoil in our nation's America. Uh, the clips that we started out the worship service with this morning were clips to encourage you to pray for America. Maybe there's not been such a time as this where our country needs devout prayers and lifting this nation up to the Lord. I know that we've uh, been in danger and in peril for uh, many different reasons throughout the history of this nation. Uh, always it seemed like the... Peril and turmoil was from the outside, and our nation stood strong on the inside. But as we see what's going on in uh, recent days and weeks and months, uh, the turmoil is on the inside of the nation. Now, I remember growing up, I, I, I grew up in the 60s, I knew, I know what was going on in the 60s, I knew about the riots, I knew why they were happening and all those kind of things, that I've never seen... Um, uh, a desire to totally dismantle our nation, like's going on today, and you say, brother Mike, I don't know uh, if I agree with you or not. Well, that's okay. Uh, maybe you can have your turn later. Uh, but uh, we're seeing a time in our nation where everything is being reidentified, erased, uh, taken away, distorted, and um, Yet God has a plan for these turbulent times. And when we begin to think about the plan that the church has in these times, uh, we have to really focus and understand that God's plan for his church is to be obedient to him. It's to follow his standard. It's to uplift uh, his revelation. And we do that by our daily lives. And when it comes to issues and problems, there's not or never has been an issue in society, personally, spiritually, uh, that God does not address in His Word. I mean, if you've got it, He's got an answer for it. If, If there's a need, He has a response to that need. The problem is, is that often we go through life lacking because we're not conscientious enough to search out God's answers for the struggles and the needs that we have. If we don't have, James says, it's because we don't ask. If we don't understand, it's because we hadn't bothered to look. Because the answers and the truth are there. God doesn't cover mystically his word but God desires for us to know his word and to know him through his word how to respond so in these con- conflicting days that we're in as a, as a nation does God have an answer for our nation listen God has an answer for our nation he has an answer for our, our, how we govern ourselves he has an answer for how we treat each other and in First Peter chapter 2 I want you to see with me what we seem to be struggling with in America today is our government, right? Some of you say, amen. Uh, I I mean, I've got problems with our government too. (laughs) But but God has an answer. And God gives us a description or a definition of godly government. Now, as believers and as a part of the church, if we're going to affect this world and if we're going to really head off or we're going to confront what's happening in our nation today then we have to know what's right or we have to know how it works the best we have to understand what if we're going to counter falsehood and deception then we have to know the truth and so Peter gives us some insight about government about truth about government follow along with me if you if you would. And I want to read some in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to begin at verse 13 and and go through verse 17. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. Bow with me if you would, and let's, let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we are so thankful today that even in days of confusion and days of turmoil, that we have a a clear and a present response from you about the very things that are happening in our nation today. Father, it's not only America today that's facing challenges, but it's the whole world. Lord, as you have established truth and justice and righteousness. And that truth and justice and righteousness endures all time. It crosses all borders and boundaries. reaches out to all people. And Father, we pray this morning for that understanding. And Father, we want to stand with you. We want to pronounce your truth. And proclaim your liberty and your freedom in Jesus Christ. But yet, Lord, we need to know and understand what our place and what our purpose is here in this earth and in this time. Father, we live. This is our generation. It's our time as believers. Lord, help us to be faithful and committed to uphold and uplift the Lord Jesus Christ and everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He knows you. look and think about answers, uh, God has one for our government. No matter how difficult it seems or no matter how troubled times are, that God has some really good answers for us. First of all, if you think about uh, with me, that Peter uh, gives us the purpose of godly government. God has a reason. When God creates or God produces or God decrees or decides, God always has The outcome in mind. He knows what the end is going to be. Uh, In other words, you you and I, we kind of plot through life, uh, kind of uh, walking and feeling our way through it. Uh, But God understands the beginning and the end. Uh, And He's eternal. He sees it all in a sense at one time. And so He has a purpose for government. Peter gives us a few things about that very purpose. And if you look at verse 13, one of those purposes of government is that it's to pursue or should pursue good order in society. In other words, our, our government is here to, uh, to order the society that we live in in a way that you and I can be safe, in a way that we can be productive, uh, in a way that we can live the best life that we can live. Now listen, government like human beings is not perfect. Uh, it's uh, sometimes that like human beings we get off track. And we can see the history of government in in the world, and we can see that there's a whole lot of governments at one point in time got off track. I I mean, they, they were wayward. They were anything but what God's determined government to be. And we have to realize that. And we have to understand also that we can be in the same boat, or we can see our nation go the same way if we're not careful, to pull back to God's standards and God's purpose for government. But verse 13, kind of, it says this, therefore submit yourself to every ordinance uh, of man for the Lord's sake. You see, Peter is saying that because God has purpose in government, that we ought to submit to the government for his sake. Now you say, Brother Mike, that there's sometimes that government goes uh, even beyond God's standards and even beyond God's commandments. Where do we draw the line? Well, there are several examples of that in Scripture. One of those is with Daniel. You may remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the young Hebrew children that were brought into captivity from Israel to Babylon. And uh, the king called these young men out. uh, And uh, he was going to feed them a certain food. And he was going to teach them certain things. And uh, they were going to become a certain part of the society there, integrate into it. And uh, one of the first things that Daniel objected to was the fact that, hey, I'm not going to eat from the king's delicacies. You see, for Daniel, that was uh, in disobedience to God. And so Daniel was faithful to his convictions, but yet still submissive to his government. Daniel found a way to honor God and still... Submit to the authorities that were uh, over him. And so, as believers, we need to realize the same thing. Peter and John were another example in the New Testament. Uh, In the book of Acts, they went out and they preached the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were arrested for preaching Jesus Christ. And they were brought before the authorities after they were jailed. And then when they gave an account of what they were supposed to do, uh, Peter and John's response were, listen, we can't do anything else but this. And if you have to jail us for this, then you'll have to put us in jail. Sometimes it calls for our response to be faithful to the Lord even at the penalty of being Persecuted by our government. But the purpose of government is to pursue good order in society. To make things tolerable and livable for people. It's the way God designed it to be. Now there's another thing also uh, that is a purpose for government that Peter talks about. Not only to pursue good order in society... But also it's to punish those who do evil. Now look at verse 14. It says to, or to governors, you see, here's the, here, here's the head of state, right? Uh, Peter calls him the king. Uh, let's say for our sake, we'll call him the president. All right? We can elect our rulers. Uh, Peter couldn't in his day. Uh, but so then there's the next line of government, right? There's always another line of government. There's our federal government, and there's our state government, and there's our local government, and all those. And, and there's a succession of responsibility and authority. And so yet, from the very head to the very end, to the very local government, that, that the government is there to punish those who do evil. To do evil. <clears throat> Verse 14. Uh, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. So... God has ordained government, if it's working the way it's supposed to, is to punish those who do evil. Right? To restrain wickedness and evil in our world and our society today. You say, well, Brother Mike, we're upside down, aren't we? Yeah, really, sometimes we are upside down. Because it seems like more and more that progressively things are kind of turning on their head. And it's more like the government seems to be rewarding evil by persecuting evil. good. Good. Why, why is that the case? It's because we've lo- we're losing our, our moral standards. We're, we're, we're re- losing the, the, the definition of right and wrong. We're losing the authority of who determines what's good and bad. And that's God. You see, God determined and, and and continues to really prescribe what's right and what's wrong. And if we turn away from that, then we have no standard at all. And so now evil raises up and evil's accepted and evil's even promoted and celebrated instead of what's right and what's good and what's pure and wholesome. And so now you look out in the world today and you say, why in the world, how in the world did this get to be legal? It's because we're progressively moving away from the absolute standards of God. You see, you, you want to talk about progressivism? <laughs> here's, here's what progressivism gets you farther away from God. Further away from the truth. Further away from the things that really uh, give value to human life. And so it's to punish those who, who do evil. Well, let me give you another thing about the purpose of government. Uh, you see, it also is to punish those who do evil, pursue good order in society, but look on at the end of verse 14. And to praise those who do good. You, you see, it praises those who do good. In other words, our government ought to be so affixed and so ordered that when people are doing good, they ought to be rewarded for it. They ought to get an attaboy or way to go or celebrated the goodness of doing good. Right? And so, does that happen today in our culture? Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes we do good and we're persecuted for doing that good. Or we're isolated or separated. Or we're labeled or we're accused of something that's wrong. Paul kind of sums up Peter's very own thoughts in Romans chapter 13. If you want to look there, you can. But listen to what he says. Remember, Peter's writing this and Paul's writing to the the Romans. And listen to what he says. He says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and to those who resist will, uh, will, will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Right, I mean, what's the government supposed to be to reward good works, but to evil, punish evil, reward good—function of the government. It's God's standard. Now, when that doesn't happen, then government isn't working. Do you know uh, to to be unafraid of the authorities? Why are we so fearful of uh, the, uh, of people in authority today? It's because that their understanding of truth is upside down. See, we ought to be afraid of a government that celebrates evil and punishes good. Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. for He is God's minister to you for good. but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. And he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practice evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath but also for conscience sake. Paul says when the government is, is rewarding good and punishing evil, we ought to be submissive to it. In other words, we ought to be obedient to it. And that way we don't have to fear it if our government isn't functioning right, then we need to change it. And we had the power to do that. If we see our nation rewarding evil and not upholding good, then this time we stood up. And you say, well, Brother Mike, what's good and evil? <laughs> well, good and evil is in the Word of God. Good and, and we're going to look at some of that in just a minute. But but good and evil is is, is defined by God and his standard. And to walk away from that is to walk away from the truth. So the purpose of government is to pursue good order, is to punish evil, and it's to reward good. Peter goes on, and not only does he talk about the purpose of government, but he talks about the power of godly government. That it has a powerful impact or a powerful effect on the society that we live in today. Listen, good government has powerful impact on God's people. On people that uh, are, are unbelievers equally as well. Look at verse 15. You see, the power of godly government, first of all, it accomplishes God's will. Verse 15 says that, For this is the will of God, that by doing good... You may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So what Peter is reminding us of is that the power that godly government has is to accomplish the will of God. You see, we live in a great nation. America has been great for centuries for God's glory in its evangelistic efforts. There's never been a nation on the face of the earth that's reached more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ than the United States of America. You say, well, what about Great Britain? Well, there was a time when Great Britain was evangelistic, when it reached out, uh, certainly for a time period, but not to the extent that America has. Not to the extent of, of sharing Christ with the world. You see, and the reason that America was able to do that, and even continues to be able to do that, is because we've had a government in the past that was that was operating by the principles of God. And because it was, it gave it great power to accomplish God's will. We were a nation that celebrated the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no question around the world at any time in the history of this nation, up until recently, that ever questioned whether or not that America was a Christian nation. Whether or not that America's fabric and at its core and its values, that they were based on things of Christ up until recently. And that gave this nation great power and great influence. It gave great blessing from God. We've been a nation who have received a multitude of blessings from God because of our following Obeying. Building our nation on His principles. Now we begin to walk away and move away from that. We're reaping the consequences for it. And so, the power of godly government accomplishes God's will. Let me give you a second thing. that Not only does it accomplish His will. If you look a little bit further in verse 15. That it confronts man's foolishness. Now... You know, I want to be gentle and loving with you, but, but in all fairness, as human beings, we're foolish. And we can really showcase our foolishness if we're not careful. The Bible says that God is always so inclined to take the foolishness of man and use it to confound what He thinks is His own wisdom. And, and, and the greatest example of that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says that God takes the, the, the foolishness of the preaching of the cross to confound the wisdom of man. So man sits back and looking for redemption and looking for salvation and, and, and looking for bettering himself and he looks inside himself and he says, what can I do to make myself better? How can I invent better things to make society better? How how can I create easier paths for men and women and and make our world better? Uh, And the foolishness of that is, is that He can. No matter how much technology we have or how much innovation we have, Or how much free time we can create for ourselves through innovation. No matter how much we can create a fantasy world that we want to live in. None of that changes our heart. Only the cross can give life to a dead man. And so the world looks at that and says, Wow, what does Jesus Christ dying 2,000 years ago have to do with me? Or how can that help me? Listen, it's your only hope. It's America's only hope. And if we walk away from that, then we walk away into foolishness. And you see, when we see and when we take stands for a government that's based on God's freedom on God's principles, then it confronts the foolishness of man. Well, one last thing about power. Power of godly government, what else? Not only does it confront our foolishness, but also it maximizes our freedom. Our freedom. (laughs) You know, we're, we're all the time talking about freedom. I want more freedom, more freedom but yet recently we've given up more liberty and we have less freedom than we've ever had. How does that work? Well, look at verse 16. He says, As free, uh, yet not using as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. You see, we're, we're free in Jesus Christ. We're free as Americans. Uh, and, and, and so, what, what we realize, the freest that we can be is, is in our obedience and our relationship to Jesus Christ as His bondservant. But God warns us not to use our liberty to take advantage of others. You see, it would be real easy for us to use our, our, our freedom and, 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 and dismiss other people's needs. You see, our, our freedom is connected to, to our love for other people. And in this freedom that God has given us, we ought to turn around and express that freedom through loving other people, serving others. And when we do that, we're 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 continually free. You know, Jesus talked about that very thing when he says that really we're not we really don't live until we're we're dead. Or or that we're not really free until we're really ready to let everything go and to release our lives to Him. And so the power of godly government makes it conducive to maximize our, our freedom. In other words, when our, when our nation is following the Lord, then it's a place that will set us free. Freedom. Power of godly government. Well, one last thing I want you to see with me is not only the power and the purpose, but I want you to see some principles of godly government real quickly. What does it look like? How does it operate? Well, listen to what he says in verse 17. Because I'll be honest with you, the principles of godly government have to do with people, (laughs) Uh, not the mechanics. It's not the laws. As great as our nation is based on the Constitution that we have, it's not even that, really. But it's really about people. Uh, he, he says, first of all, in verse 70, honor all people. Now, if, now if you mark in your Bible, circle the word all. <laughs> because I, I'll tell you what that means it means, it means all. Uh, it means all ages, all ethnic backgrounds. And, and by the way, I want you to understand me. there's only one race, okay? That's the human race. We we might have different ethnicities, but we're all the same race. Because, you see, if you do our Ancestry.com back far enough, you'll come to Adam and Eve. And that's where it all started. And so, it's all peoples. For God so loved the world, the peoples of the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. It's it's all people. It's all backgrounds. It's all distinctions. It's all educational backgrounds. It's, It's all people. He says, honor all people. But Brother Mike, There's some people in this world that are just vile. They're awful. They're coarse. They're terrible. Their language, their lifestyle, their hatred, their bitterness. Those people, are they part of the all? They're part of the All. How how do I honor someone like that? How do I honor someone who dishonors my Savior, Jesus Christ? And I want to tell you what, I struggle with that too. I'll be honest with you. How do I honor someone who hates Jesus Christ? And the only way I can get there, and it takes me a while, is to realize He is who He is because He's dead. Did you hear me? He believes what He believes because He's dead. He can't help what He does because He's dead. He thinks the way He thinks because He's dead. Can I maybe honor his potential? What would happen if he became alive in Jesus Christ? What happened to countless other people who became believers in the course of the history of this world? Sometimes they were vile and reprobate. Sometimes they were evil and wicked and enemies of the cross and did horrendous things against believers in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden they were saved. And they became alive. They once were the way they were. But in Christ they became a new creature. Honor all people. The word honor means to respect. I didn't say honor all behavior. It means to esteem. It means to fix a value on something. Listen, how can we fix a value when even Jesus didn't on a soul? Jesus asked the question, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He really says all the value of all the world and of all the creation does not have the equity of value as one soul. So we're called to honor all people. Your perspective on others. How do you see others? That's a principle of godly government. How do we look at each other? Do we look at each other with respect? Are we willing to hear each other? Or are we willing to give each other an opportunity? Another principle of godly government is your passion for the church. He says, love the brotherhood. Right? <laughs> you're going to be better citizens of the USA if you're better citizens of the kingdom. The Bible says our citizenship's in heaven. It's not on earth, but it's in heaven. But for while we're here and while we're we're sojourners here, while we're journeying here, we're citizens of this this nation. We ought to be thankful for that. But if we're better citizens of the kingdom, we're going to be better citizens of the country. So he says, love the brotherhood. Now listen, there is absolutely no exception for you and I not to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no, there's no place you can stand and hate your brother in the kingdom of God. You, you have no reason, no cause, nothing that you can justify hating your brother your sister in Christ. The scripture says that if you hate your brother, you're not even his. That, that not hating our brothers and sisters in Christ is a testimony that we're a believer. Now listen, you may be mad at somebody here. And you may be angry in your heart at another believer. But I'll tell you what, you've got to move through that. Because your life is going to be bound the whole time that you have that all in your heart. You've got to find a way through Jesus Christ to let it go. And to love that person. You may not be, they may be dead and gone. They may be away from here. You may not be able to reconcile. If you try to reconcile with them, it might cause an atomic, cataclysmic explosion. You've got to do what you can in your heart to forgive them and move on. you got to love them. Your passion for the church, for other believers, your perspective on others as well. But he goes on and gives another principle. Your passion for God. He says, fear Fear God. Right, Our fear of God is the foundation for our, our nation. If we lose that foundation of our fear for God, then we've lost our nation. Now look, I want to tell you what, as believers, we could still live in America if it wasn't what it is today. Christians lived in corn. Christians lived in Rome. Christians live in pagan lands. Christians live in Iran. We could do it. It's not going to be good. So we have to have a passion for God that's willing to be strong even in our public life and stand for Jesus Christ. We can't openly compromise who we are and what we believe and then secretly say we love Him. Those days are gone. And so... One of those principles for godly government is that the people have a passion for God. And then finally, there's your perspective of leaders, of our leaders. He says, "Honor the king." to say like we don't have a king. but we have a president, and we have a Congress, and we have judges, and we have local government and a governor and all those things. On down the line. And it's our perspective on leadership. You say, well, Brother Mike, what about those people that are filling these leadership roles that don't fit in godly government? How do we handle that? Well, you respect government. Because the Bible says that God's ordained it. And if He's ordained it, we're to respect it. But let me give you something else. You better pray for that individual. And you better speak the truth if you have opportunity to them in love. But you better pray. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayer, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in the authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and all reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Pray. America needs your prayers. Our nation needs your prayers. The churches in our nation need our prayers. Because the church is the conscience of this nation, if we stand on the principles of God, then we'll exemplify a godly government. Thou in me before and let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful today for your love and power today. Father, we realize and confess that things may be upsetting and alarming. But God, they're not under your control. That you still reign with authority, with grace and love. And so, Lord, I pray today for this great nation. I pray, Lord, that You'll bring us back to the very source of our strength. The very place of our life and livelihood. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for a nation of such diversity that the only great unifier in the universe is Jesus Christ and that we might find unity in Jesus Christ. Lord, as sophisticated as society may seem to be, it's still as evil as it's always been. As educated and technological as we get it's still as depraved as it's ever been because none of those achievements can change our heart it's only that transformation that we have when we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior how that the power of his love can take away hate And fill it with grace. Can take away discord and destruction. And replace it. With compassion. And mercy. Only you God. Can heal our nation. And we pray today for that healing. Father help this church family here at Garrison Baptist Church. Stand for what a godly government is. Mm. Give us courage and boldness to each day to affect the person beside us or around us with your great love. Mm. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand this morning as we close our service this morning in time of invitation.